You're listening to Art Affairs, episode 45. Today I'll be talking to Hebrew Brantley. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can dig through previous episodes, complete with show notes at artaffairspodcast.com. But the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Art Affairs Podcast. On Twitter, it's art underscore affairs. All right, so today's guest is artist Hebrew Brantley. Hailing from Chicago, Hebrew's work has long been associated with the city, but he's also grown to receive international acclaim as well. We talk about his journey from painting graffiti on the streets of Chicago through film school and into developing his own artistic voice. We also talk about his desire to create work that inspires the black youth of today, his upcoming solo show in New York, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hebrew Brantley. Hebrew, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. All right. So let's let's dive into your background a little bit. And I know that you grew up in the Bronzeville area of Chicago. And, and for folks that aren't you know, particularly familiar with the geography of Chicago, I guess, what was that area like while you were growing up? It was, uh, it was pretty desolate. Bronzeville was once, you know, a really historical, you know, and prominent, uh, African-American community. And, um, you know, I think by the time I sort of had grown, you know, was coming of age there, you know, it was, it was pretty desolate. I think that, you know, a lot of its prominence had sort of, you know, through history had kind of been wiped away. And, you know, there were plenty of blocks that were just lots, um, you know, and then there were some that were just, you know, occupied with brownstones, old brownstones and remnants of like a time before. But, um, you know, in the block I grew up on, three blocks, three of the surrounding blocks uh, were vacant lots, um, you know, and my house sort of existed you know, almost it felt like an island. You know, um, I had neighbors to the to the to the back of, of of our house, but other than that, it was just that. And then, you know, <clears throat> IIT, which is a technical uh, college, was was there, and they had a presence, but they were still a really small school. Nothing, you know, like sort of where they scale to today. But that was really it, man. So you might see the occasional um, foreigner you know, walking, walking down the street. Um, but you know, other than that, like that, and there was an old folks home like three blocks away. 
Okay. So, <laughs> old folks and foreigners. That was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was the hit. What, uh, what kind of work did your, your parents do? Anything artistic? No. Well, my mom, um, my mom worked for, uh, JPC, which was, you know, Ebony Jet for years. Um, and my, my, my father worked for NBC for years. He worked like spot sales doing, um, you know, basically selling advertisement, you know, for, for some of the bigger, bigger slots that they had locally. Um, and, but my mom was, my mom was a, a artist in hiding. I think, you know, she comes from a different, different time, different era. And she never really, she wasn't artistic in the traditional sense, um, you know, pen to pad, paper to, I mean, brush to brush to canvas or anything like that. But she was just a creative person and she was always, um, she was always doodling, mm. you know, whenever she was on the phone. And so all magazines, books, and that's back in the day when you actually had phone books, like you had your black <laughs> book, to, you know, all your list of numbers. Right. And so, you know, that thing was littered with doodles around the edges of things while she was on the phone or, you know, pieces of paper just completely. Like, and it, was, it wasn't really doodles of anything, just more like just line drawings, connecting things. But um, I just, you know, I felt like my mom, you know, in a different time would have explored her artistic or creative side, you know, far more than she did. And so like as a kid, how did you first become interested in the arts? Like what was your first exposure to it? Was it watching your mom like doodle or were there other other things that inspired you? No, I was just the kid that, you know, as a kid, man, like I think most children um, have an, you know, inclination to create when it's time for crayons and coloring books or art class in school, you know, you kids, they, they, they jump at the, the notion to, to do something, right? Because it's not, doesn't feel like work. And, uh, but for me, for me, it was always like, it was that, that was it. That was everything. That's all I wanted to do. I became, uh, obsessive about it in a way. And like, <clears throat> you know, once I figured out, like, you have to kind of, uh, stay in the lines and, um, you know, it was over from there. It was just like, <laughs> this is, this is, this is all I want to do. So, um, but it was, it was, I say immediate, I think like my earliest memories of like, you know, big goals was refrigerator art, you know, doing something good enough that my mom would put it on the refrigerator. Nice. And, uh, you know, when family came over, I could like, you know, <laughs> you know, I did that right there. <laughs> <laughs> I flex a little bit. When you were really into comics too, did that uh, did that serve as as an inspiration, artistic inspiration for you as well? Yeah, but that came later. I mean, like that was that was like ages nine, ten when I first found comics, and I first found comics through my mom. My mom grew up reading like Archie, Jughead, Betty Veronica, all that stuff, and so she introduced me to that as like a, a gateway to everything else. So you know, did that for a few months. And then I found like, oh, there's other stories that talk about people with powers and all these other things. And so that was far more intriguing than like the soapy, you know, Riverdale stuff. And so <laughs> I started, you know, I, I kind of went, jumped both feet in after that. Were you a, a Marvel or a DC guy? I was more a Marvel guy, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. More of a Marvel guy. I went deep with Marvel. DC, I didn't do much. I did like the basic guys at DC, I did, you know, Batman, some Superman, some Flash, a little bit of Justice League. Um, but yeah, that was as far as I went with DC. I, I just, 
Um, Marvel just had better stories, better better heroes. DC had better villains, I thought, but um, Marvel always had like, you know, again, it was the X-Men being a metaphor for racism and civil rights movement and things like that. Not knowing that at the time, but I really believe that like that outsider mentality, uh, which was shared by me and a lot of my friends is echoed in those books. And it's like, without realizing that you're picking up on that, I think you kind of do. And it just becomes, you know, it's just, just good fodder for, for storytelling. Yeah. One of the things that I always liked about Marvel and I think what makes them more relatable is their heroes are always flawed. I mean, they were like yeah. real people that had real people problems. You know, when you see this God like Superman or Wonder Woman, like how do you relate to that? <laughs> you know? It, no, exactly. Exactly. They were definitely more grounded and, and felt real. I mean, you know, their biggest, one of their biggest heroes, Wolver- I mean, uh, Spider-Man, who's like, I'm just trying to make rent. Yeah. <laughs> and I gotta go save the world on you know on Tuesday and then go back to work on Wednesday and then try to balance school and a girlfriend yada 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 so yeah absolutely I think that their grounded nature definitely made for more appealing you know characters your, your bio also mentions um, that you were influenced by the you know Chicago's Afrocobra movement which was a movement um, a collective of black artists that formed in Chicago in the 60s and 70s and sort of celebrated African identity and and tried to call awareness to some of the political struggles that they were experiencing I guess was that something that you had around you a lot and like what was the influence there yeah it was around it, it was a thing that I was a fan and I didn't know it you know it was like I grew up like you know southeast side so or low end obviously bronzeville but if you go a little further south you know those murals are still you know i mean a lot of them are still you know existing today but it just was it was the landscape you know and it was like my first introduction to public art and you know walking walking those blocks walking those streets with my cousins or going to their house or you know basketball little league practice etc it just became a part of you know, my, my, my sort of ecosystem and like worked its way, I think subconsciously into, you know, my brain to where when I did create things that weren't comics or cartoons, I would sort of call back to those things. You know, it wasn't until I got older in the high school where I started to really appreciate them as opposed to them just sort of being, you know, a uh, a, a, a landmark or, you know, just that thing that you pass through and you don't really give that much attention to because it, it just feels like it's something old and it's just been there forever. But it became, they became more, you know, obviously the, the, uh, the, the nature in which they were created, the reason for the, their creation, the messaging, the, the, um, just the skill that was in a lot of those. And at the time, you know, um, you know, and, and learning about some of those men and women, knowing their struggles, where they came from and how they were able to pull those things off and how beautiful they are. It's just, it was just really impressive. And so, yeah, I, I fell I fell in pretty hard and then, you know, again, started studying beyond the Afro Cobra movement in Chicago. But, you know, a lot of um, I'd say the, the sort of revolutionary movement, uh, the works of that time and the artists of that time that that really sort of championed the change um within within their works and um just became really fascinated by it i think you know obviously like 
it was statement-based work. A lot of it was really heavy-handed, but it was of the time, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's still, to, you know, still powerful and still relevant, you know, a lot of it right now. It's interesting how th- those sorts of things can mean different things to you as you start to become more familiar with the messaging. Like at one point it was just, hey, that looks really nice. But then you start to understand the messaging and the struggles that they were communicating. And then it means a completely different thing and it sort of evolves. I think that's that's fascinating. Um, and so, you know, you yourself actually got into to street art as well and, and graffiti. Um, I guess, how did you first get involved in the graffiti scene in Chicago? You know, it was just sort of a natural thing, I think, like as... Uh, an aspiring creative. It was cool. I was just into hip hop, you know, real tough. And uh, those elements of core hip hop <clears throat> back in the day, you know, was rapping, you know, breakdancing, graffiti. Uh, art was always a thing that came natural to me or a thing that I, I naturally loved the most. And so, you know, I was really interested in graffiti. I was less interested in traditional graffiti um, as it existed in terms of, you know, wild styles, letters, things of that nature, but more interested in characters, um, and their sort of, uh, articulation of like, you know, there was like a rhythm and a, and a, and a, and a language that they had, you know, in traditional graffiti form, like the B-boy poses and stance, where it was like, it was just dope, you know, it just, it, borrowed from different forms of art but it was still its own thing and then it also you know took root and origins within you know comic book culture you know and things of that nature so being able to just do that and see that on a large scale was was became really appealing to me and so you know that's you know as as i went out with my buddies or we you know we we did certain things that's always where i wanted to be you know like let me do let me be the connective tissue between your wild style and your piece. I'll do a character here, one at the end, one here, blah, blah, blah. Um, because I, you know, I always felt like traditional graffiti was a bit limiting. You know, the stuff that the guys were doing over in Europe at the time um, was groundbreaking. You know, they really pushed the the medium, but, um, you know, the stuff, Chicago, you know, God bless us. We were always a step or two behind a day or two late. You know, we were sort of, that the the kid that got the information uh, <laughs> after it already had circulated around the class, and you know we showed up late to the party. Um, so you know it was just I think a lot of guys in Chicago were still operating from <clears throat> excuse me an older playbook, and then you had guys like you know uh, Carlos Rolón Design who was pushing that medium, you know, he, he kind of arrived there in, in, in B-boyism, but then pushed that shit to a whole nother level and, you know, watching him do it and without even knowing who he was, but just seeing some of the stuff, um, was like, it, it, it kind of, you know, had a little light bulb effect where it was like, you know, you can, you don't have to stick so rigidly to that formula of, you know, character wild style character blah blah blah. um you can do you know you can go anywhere with it and so you know as i started to grow older and you know getting into high school and out of high school um the notion of doing other things just putting art on walls as opposed to labeling it graffiti or having it be a certain you know having it have to feel or be a certain way was was more more appetizing to me 
Interesting. Interesting. So, so growing up, was it your, was it always your dream to one day become an artist? Like, was that something that you had your sights set on even at that point? Or was it more of something you just kind of treated as a hobby and did for fun? Well, I think in the back of my mind, it always was. I think that I don't know if I thought it was possible or plausible because I didn't know any black artists. You know, I didn't know any professional black artists. And the one, the one artist I did know was working in comics and animation. And so I felt like, oh, well, shit, I could, you know, maybe I could do that. But I never was, I didn't have that kind of ability with the, with the pen and pencil where I could stay consistent with uh, the notion of like a character design you know, and in the way that you need to, if you're doing comics or the way you need to, if you're doing, um, you know, animation. And also my, my anatomy game was terrible. Like it still is, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, I, I was never gifted in that way of seeing things in that way where they are the way that they should be, you know, um, or even just a slight extension. Like I have to work really hard at that. And so, um, you know, as I started to grow and, Again, I pushed myself and I tried, but it became really apparent that like, you know, this was a losing battle. And so, um, you know, I thought that my first love has always been film, you know, because I grew up primarily an only child until I was like 10 years old. And so my mom, being who she was, you know, always putting things in front of me to digest that were different. You know, she she would take me to movies when I was young and try to expose me to as much as possible, take me to museums when I was young. And um, I just man, I just I mean, what little kid doesn't like movies? But I I, I loved everything. I mean, terrible, terrible films to, you know, <laughs> some some, you know, some some uh, age old classics. But like I was just was really into it. And so I figured like growing up. I could try to get a job in the film industry. And even, even the idea of writing a film or directing a film was foreign to me because at the time it was only really like Spike Lee, you know, right. and maybe like Reginald Hudlin and just a very small handful of, you know, uh, Robert Townsend of guys doing it. But that was it. You know, it wasn't the, the, the doors weren't open. For, for, for black people. So, you know, I figured, well, shit, maybe I can, you know, um, work in the art department or, um, you know, PA or whatever, but I, I can work in the industry. And, you know, it wasn't until college where, you know, things aligned and I started doing art more and more and more and opportunities opened up for me to continue to do art. And, you know, so that's sort of, yeah. So is that why you ultimately went to, to Atlanta for, for film? You went to Clark University in Atlanta. So I was going to ask you about that because it seemed like up until that point, you were super invested in 2D visual art, but then it almost seemed like you kind of diverted to film. But from what you're saying right now, you've always loved film. Yeah, I've, I've always, always, always loved film. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, my, my father was uh, extremely adamant, like if he was going to help me pay for college, he wasn't you know, art wasn't the move because again, <laughs> the, the whole, you know, the stigma of like the starving artist, you know, and he didn't, you know, as a father, like I couldn't, you know, at the time I didn't understand and I was pissed, but 
you're looking back and as a father now, you don't want your kids to struggle. You want, you know, a little struggle's good, but you don't want them to go through their lives struggling. You want them to be able to figure it out and 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 walk on their own too and, you know, be comfortable, find some comfort in life financially. And uh, he, he wanted that for me. So I think, you know, him looking at my second choice in school, which was Clark Atlanta, um, as a as a good compromise, because I think he figured well, at least he can staff on a production. You know, he can get the, the the required skills to learn how to do a thing, and then get a job in the industry, and yada yada yada. So, um, but I chose Clark because you know I was chasing I was chasing Spike. I'll be honest, you know, it was like I I wanted I wanted to walk in those those you know those footsteps. And so he went and did all his undergrad classes at, he went to Morehouse, but Morehouse doesn't have a a communications division, Clark does. And so all of the HBCUs, the historically black colleges are right there, you know, Spelman, Morehouse, uh, Clark, and then Morris Brown. Um, And uh, so he took all his classes at Clark. And so I you know, got a chance to study under one of his main professors, Dr. Eichelberger. Oh, wow. And um, it was dope. I mean, it was great. But, you know, Clark at the time was becoming more of a school in the communications department that was leaning more towards um, radio and TV, uh, specifically radio, because Clark had their own uh, radio station, which was the uh, jazz station in Atlanta. And um, they also had a public access uh you know, a channel that they would run out of, uh, out of Clark. And so it was leaning more towards that. So the, the things that we did film related were prim- were mostly, you know, on our own. It was just guys getting together, um, and, you know, making short films and, you know, just borrowing the, uh, the equipment, you know, on the weekends or, you know, times when we weren't supposed to have it or, you know, being in the lab uh editing and stuff when we weren't supposed to but it was by hook or crook but we kind of we 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 learned through each other you know that was sort of the education there right on right on and and, and after after graduating uh, uh, did you move back to chicago right away or did you spend some more time on on the east coast i stayed in atlanta um i think for at least two years and then uh finally moved back to chicago uh for just a little bit. I came back to Chicago as most do when they return home and trying to figure out what their life is. And, um, and then just by chance, I went out to LA for a, a little, just like a vacation. I went to see a friend and uh, he was studying law at Loyola here and stayed with him for a few days. And then everything kind of clicked, you know, it was like, ended up getting a job offer. It was, I mean, it's, you know, not like a real job offer, but like to work at this, this, you know, this sports bar, you know, at night. And, uh, I could work the door in the back where nobody was supposed to come in or come out. So that meant I could just sit there and draw all night. Um, and then the first week there, I got like three commissions and, you know, just kind of looking at it, I was like, well, you know, I could take the money from these commissions, pay my rent in Chicago. And then my buddy said, you know, I was basically couch surfing, but, you know, give him some money so that I could stay a little guilt free, you know, and not be that guy. <laughs> um, and just sustain for a month or two. And that kind of went on and I ended up being out here for uh, a year. And then 
finally, uh, you know, went home to visit after a year and uh, ended up staying in Chicago for quite some time after that. Right on. And I know that you were also doing some commercial design and illustration work um, right out of school. Uh, I guess, tell me about that. What, what sort of work was that? And was that like a freelance job or were they staff positions? It was all freelance. I mean, it was like, you know, I was in school around the height of like Southern hip hop boom. And so, um, you know, there was a music video being shot every day. It felt like, you know, um, for, and so there was, there was a little opportunity there to like, you know, uh, again, if it's PA, if it's, you know, art department, um, storyboard work, which I did quite a bit of storyboard work, um, in the beginning. And then, you know, um, cause a lot of the videos were the same. It was, you know, slow pans and slow motion shots of, you know, champagne pouring and posturing, you know, everybody trying to look cool. But um, it was just, you know, it was a good opportunity to kind of be in that. And then, you know, when certain movies came around and um, they needed a, a mural done or random things, you know, I, I had friends in the industry at that point, so I would get a call. To, to do little odd jobs basically for, for different productions. And so I guess, how did you, you know, starting with that experience, uh, your experience painting graffiti growing up, um, your, your degree in film, how did you ultimately transition into developing your own studio practice and, you know, focusing full time on your personal artwork? Well, it kind of started when I was still in college. Um, I've told this story a few times, but, um, you know, there was a huge boom for custom painted shirts, but also like there was a company called Meskeen. They were doing the puff paint shirts and like a lot of the rappers and guys wore them. And, you know, they were charging a, a pretty hefty ticket at the time for the shirts. And so I started doing them as well, but I was doing more things that were like character based, less designy, designy stuff, but like things that were a little bit more specific. And so you know, there's a lot of college students with disposable income. And I happen to be, you know, in Atlanta where you've got like, you know, amongst the H, you know, the, 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 the HBCUs that were there, you have like Georgia Tech, Emory, Georgia State. And I started doing a lot of these shirts and then elevated from there to doing like shirts, hats, jackets, et cetera. And so it became a real business really fast. Um, and so I started to bring in some of the like kids from like the local college, uh, the, our college, our colleges, I should say. And, um, I was basically running the operation out of my, my, my apartment. My whole living room was like a, a little sweatshop. And, um, we were just like knocking through these designs and they were sort of mimicking my designs and I kind of showed them how I, how I did it. And, um, it kind of started there and it was just like, hmm, you know, it kind of, got the the, the the wheel spinning a little bit that, you know, this was an opportunity to stay in a creative space. Um, and at the same time, I, I was painting, you know, I was, I was doing works on canvas at the house, but, you know, they were all terrible and still trying to develop and find my voice. Um, but I was, I was making money enough to pay for school through that business um, and sort of kind of hit a lick in, in terms of like 
jumping onto something that was extremely trendy at the time, but monetizing from it. And then um, I think that was sort of the the thing that led to me wanting to, because once that sort of died and I graduated from school and I didn't need to really hold on to so many people and started doing more exclusive stuff for different entertainers, you know, I kind of cut back on the clientele. Plus I wasn't in school anymore, so I didn't have to like share my time. And so, you know, between doing those things that I knew I was going to make a little a couple bucks off of, I was making artwork and, um, you know, was able to, at that time, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of friends and acquaintances that were getting into the, you know, film, television industry, getting their first little jobs. And so, you know, when they got their first little apartment, they come buy a painting for me for a couple hundred bucks. And, you know, that really planted the seed. And I think, you know, there was a few moments where like, you know, some of the homies that I really respected, obviously their taste and, and who they were and their stature, like, you know, came and bought pieces from me. And and that was a big moment in terms of, you know, it's like bringing about a confidence that this thing, that I, that there's something there that I could, I could do this. And so it, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, it started kind of from there. And then, um, you know, as I moved to LA, you know, it was by hook or crook. So, you know, I was painting out of a dusty, dirty, old LA <laughs> style cramped garage, um, every, every day. Um, and then at night I was just working like, you know, the job at the, at the, at the sports bar, at the club. And that, that pattern kind of happened for like the next two to three years where, you know, and a lot of it was just still me finding my voice. You know, I, I wasn't doing anything that great. I was able to sell some stuff here and there, but I was relying on that check, you know, as well. And then I just, man, I, you know, I kind of just taught myself, you know, the, all the programs, Photoshop, Illustrator, et cetera. And, you know, was just determined to sort of stay in a creative space. Um, I'd gotten into a fight at one of the at the clubs that I worked at, and I, I severed a nerve. I fell uh, oh, wow. on a um, a manhole cover. Mm. My elbow hit it on my right hand side, and I didn't realize uh, that it basically ripped all the skin off of my elbow, and um, had had a little nerve damage. And so I just got really nervous. You know, this is the yeah. the golden hand, and, <laughs> right. and I didn't want to, you know jeopardize that. So just went, you know, it was, it was motivating, it, you know, just went and made me work a lot harder at, you know, my creative. And, um, you know, then eventually I started doing stuff like teaching, you know, I had, I was, um, you know, teaching like in a program in Chicago, uh, called, uh, uh little, little black Pearl. And I was running the painting studio there for like a year and a half. And all the while, I mean, you know, I was working during the day, but every night I was just painting like a madman, you know, I was painting like a man possessed and drawing. And and then eventually, you know, it was just that thing where when I left Little Black Pearl, I was just determined not to um, work for anybody anymore. And um, that's sort of around the time I met uh, the Joe brothers um, and they are, I don't know if you're familiar, but um, they're Chicago-based artists. They um, they're from China originally. Um, they're brothers, hence the name. But um, they 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 came here in the '80s 
and we're extremely, extremely successful in the in the art world. Um, and you know, developed a incredible studio practice and made a, a bunch of money to the point where they bought, you know, damn near the equivalent of maybe two blocks oh, of wow. property in Bridgeport and converted, you know, one into a massive studio live workspace and then um, bought one of one half of the Spiegel's factory buildings and turned it into a art center. Um, and they had the studios there. They, on the first floor, they had their main gallery. And, um, you know, I'd met them just on, again, through my mom, you know, it was like, she, she saw this, uh, she read about them, found out that they did, you know, studio visits. We did a visit. I talked with them. They told me about, you know, what they had going on and they had some space, ended up renting space from them. And initially in their gallery, it was two galleries, three galleries in the building at the time, but their, their, their large gallery was meant for masters you know it was mm-hmm. the gallery that they only they showed in you know between big shows that they had they would have their work in and then they would have you know different masters from around the world in dealing with all types of media and um you know it i i was able to within a, like a year and a half again i was just working just feverishly and within a year and a half they kind of saw that and i was able to convince them to give me a show in that gallery Nice. And um, and they did. And, and that was a real major sort of turning point for me in my career, because that was to date. That was the biggest show that I had ever done. The most ambitious, um, you know, it was the first time I ever um, had any sculpture elements incorporated into, you know, the, the exhibition. Um, and it kind of put, you know, folks on notice, I think, in Chicago, like because at the time, you know, I, I, Chicago art or what was coming out and what was deemed popular or, you know, acceptable was, was, was very boring shit. You know, it was, it was at, you know, except for like a Carrie James who even at that time was, was still celebrated, but not, you know, given, I think the glory obviously that he has now, but it was, it was pretty boring. You know, Um, you had, you know, Theaster Gates who was sort of just, kind of coming up and you know Fiasta worked at Black Pearl right before I did and he left like a year before I did and that's how I got to know Fiasta and you know he became a great mentor and brother and a friend to me um in that and kind of helped give me a little jewels along the way of like what to do what not to do but my art was so dr- dramatically different because you know the aesthetic was different it, it was it was speaking to some of the same things that some artists would you know were were as well but it was approaching it completely different. And I think that, you know, there was a large group of folks, even now there's a large group of folks that don't know how to really perceive it. They perceive it one way, you know, sort of face value without sort of understanding the context behind it. But things have changed significantly within the art world. So I think that, you know, you have so many more people that are receptive to those that are coming from the left instead of center. but yeah, but that was that was sort of that that big moment in that time, and you know, the, my first real art studio, um, you know, where 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 I, you know, it wasn't me painting in my house or in a room in my house and calling it a studio. <laughs> I had to actually get in a car and go to another location. No, that's really cool that they saw that that kind of work ethic in you and saw that you were putting in so many hours, and then gave you that that opportunity to kind of give get your foot in the door. 
Um, you, you, you talked a little bit about the, um, the kind of, uh, apparel, uh, you, you call it sweatshop that you were running out of your, of your college apartment for a while. And I, I was going to ask you about the origin of Hebrew brand studios, which is among other things produces your apparel line. Was that, I guess, inspired by some of those early experiences you had in college in creating apparel? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, looking at Warhol is a huge influence on me in the sense of, let me, let me say this, and this might be controversial. I'm not a huge fan of Warhol's work, but Warhol's ideology when it comes to the creation of work is what I'm you know, a big fan of and how he got to that point and how he stayed at that point you know, up until his death. And the thing that I've always felt was that you know, he never got to, this is going to sound bad, but exploit his, his own creations. He did in, 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 the, in the realm of art and in, in, in those walls of the gallery, he definitely got to exploit that in that way. But in terms of the commercialization of um, merchandising and, 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 and fully monetizing off that, I mean, now you have countless companies that license Warhol's imagery to put them on everything. And so that was really always super intriguing. And that kind of comes from my collector side, my comic book days and as a kid of, you know, buying the, the, you know, collecting basketball cards and, and, and comic books and things of that nature. And, you know, those things, you know, buying basketball cards made me feel closer to the sport, you know, in a, in a, in a weird way. Right. And closer to, the athletes in a weird way and comics, the same thing. Like if I'm wearing a Wolverine t-shirt, like I get to celebrate my fandom and my love for, you know, these characters. And so for me, it was like, I always really loved that idea. And I didn't really see too many artists do it while they were living. You know, mm -hmm. now you have guys like, you know, obviously like, you know, Arsham, Murakami, Cause, where it's become very normalized that, you know, to do these things. But at that time, it really didn't feel that normal. It didn't feel that, you know, uh, you didn't see it as much or it wasn't so much, you know, part of mainstream, you know, art practice, so to speak. And so, um, you know, it was just always a thing that I wanted, like to be able to claim a destination that felt really, for lack of a better, like cool, you know, Hebrew brand studios, like it's not just it's not just one ideal. It's not just one thing. We're not just producing fine art. It's, you know, a multitude of things that I want to come out of this studio, you know, um, from, you know, fine art to collectibles, to other forms of merchandising, to, you know, animated shorts, to this, to that, to the, you know, comics, et cetera. Like I, I never wanted to limit myself in a creative capacity. And so that was me adapting that, title um and and being able to put things out because again if it's like you know if it's hebrew brantley studios to me that felt like you know it it one i mean granted it's still hebrew in the name but it's <laughs> it just it felt like it felt limiting in the sense because you know everything that i create or that comes out of the studio from you know, a merchandising standpoint or other, other elements, comics, et cetera. That's not just me, right? That's a collection of people, including myself, working on a thing, putting it together to present a thing. And 
you know, it's, it's, it's the brand team, you know, it's, 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 it's a collective. And so that was always the idea behind it and how I wanted to move forward with, uh, the way that I conducted my practice. Yeah, that's sort of a profound um, observation just about how, how Warhol didn't really have an opportunity to monetize his own artwork and it's everybody after after he's already dead. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I have a ton of respect for you uh, about is, is the your strong business sense. And, and you, you've talked a lot about that throughout the course of our conversation. And I feel like that's somewhat rare. In the, I mean, it's not, you know, that there are good business artists out there, but I feel like a lot of artists tend to like to just focus on their artwork and kind of lean into that and focus less on the business. But I think you've really done a great job of mastering both sides of that divide. Is that something that you feel comes naturally to you? Is it something you had to really cultivate and lean, you know, kind of learn? Or is it always just kind of been at your core? I mean, I I think I do okay at it. Um, But I think that it's something that I've had to learn. It's something that I'm still learning. You know, as as different days bring, you know, different opportunities, bring different people trying to hustle you and take more of what, you know, you've done and you've worked for. And, you know, the art world is such a um, it's a tough game, man. You know, it's it's a game full of hustlers, really. You know, it's like this person over here denotes the value of this creation over here but they pull it out of fucking thin air you know and tomorrow they say that that thing that was worth x now is worth y because it went and it sold to this person so you know with that it was like it felt like you know again you're entering into almost like a lawless sort of society or a place without real rules. It has these unwritten rules that you're supposed to abide by, but I always felt like that's bullshit. Those are rules made by man and man can make other, you know, they're not governed, right? right? So it's like, I can do my own thing. And I always just had a problem with a lot of galleries, especially lower tier galleries. Let me, let me just be clear. Like, you know, galleries, lower tier to mid-level galleries, taking half on what an artist spent their blood, sweat, and tears creating when all they did was put it on a wall and open the doors, you know, had a few conversations. To me, that does not warrant you taking half of what I've created, right? And it's a vicious fucking cycle because it keeps the artist having to constantly create, 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 just to sometimes just to, 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 to stay at a certain level or, you know, just to eat, to survive. And, you know, it takes a long ass time for galleries to pay out most of the time. Right. Um, you know, most of gallerists, most of these gallerists, and not all. So, you know, please, again, for those listening and everything, I'm not <laughs> I'm not, you know, shaming or denouncing all galleries. There are some good ones out there, but most, you know, are self-serving crooks, you know, or or you know, have sort of a a car salesman mentality. I've got this car on the lot. We move these. I ain't thinking about those. I'm not worried about the customer that bought those until it's time for the new cars to come in. Hey, I got a brand new spanking, (laughs) you know, and it's just that mentality. So it's like with the artists being the the, the creators of this product and, and also a product themselves, you know, 
a lot of times, at least in my personal experience, I was left feeling like, okay, thanks, man. Great job. All right. Boom. And then you don't hear from them until they want to re-up again, right? Or they want the next thing. And then they're your best friends for that month or two. And after that, the relationship goes by the wayside again. And it's, it's, and it's just the cycle that repeats. And so for me, it's like, you know, I want to be able to control not only my own narrative, but have the power and say in where and, and who consumes my work and also participate in that sale of the work far greater than, than you're telling me I can. And, you know, it's like, and I say mid mid or lower to mid tier galleries, because it's like these artists and these, these folks are starting their career. They're just coming up. Shame on you for, 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 for taking advantage of, you know, these creatives like that. And the creatives are always the last one being thought of in this, in these situations. And, you know, it's, it's, I I call them rich people's pets, Mm. you know, because it's like, Oh, let me chart out. And I don't want to sound bitter, but it's just like, this is, you know, in, in, in thinking about why my practice is the way it is, it's a part of it. You know, it's like, let's chart. Uh, we got this for such and such, and we paid X for it, blah, blah, blah. But you did that. Now you have all these people clamoring because you're the it guy and they want what you have. So they're going to go buy it. But the artist who bust their ass to create this thing walks away with half of that. They've had to pay to ship the work to the gallery. They've come out of pocket for that before there's any other transactions that happen. And then the idea is that the gallery will pay to ship it back to you if they don't sell. Then they hold on to them for months on end, right? You're waiting for payment. And it's just, it's a fucked up system. Excuse my French. But, you know, for me, I wanted to be able to control that as much as possible and, you know, retain as much on the financials as I could as the creator of it. And, you know, all of that just comes from extremely bad relationships with gallerists and being a part of that world and like trying to play the game right, you know, or the way that it's supposed to be played. You know, you get, you find a gallerist, you work the system, you do that, you go up, you go up, you go up. But, you know, it became a thing where I was exerting so much more energy trying to play the game the way they said I'm supposed to play it as opposed to playing it my way and reaping more of the reward, more of the success in, in, in that fashion. Now, I'm not saying at all like galleries don't have their place and they don't have their purpose or galleries don't have their place and purpose. But, you know, I think it, it depends on the type of person you are. And I've just been that person where, you know, man, I, I come from Chicago. Like I, I don't come from a lot. And the things that I have come from hard work, you know, and I, I understand that and can really appreciate that. And and I just don't want, you know, you don't want to do this work and have it be taken for granted or feel like you're being taken advantage of. And that's just kind of how I felt early on and, and, and worked really hard at sort of changing that dynamic. Managing a lot of the, the business side yourself and, and having so many plates spinning as, as you do, how do you still make time to work in the studio and, and actually create? It's hard as fuck. Like, I am not going to lie and, and play like it's easy. You know, being a father, being a husband, being a multiple business owner, you know, um, and being a creative, you know, is hard. 
And it just means that there comes a lot of sacrifice, sacrifice of time. Like I can't stay and hang out and play with my kids as long as I want to. You know, I can't go out and kick it with the homies or the friends or mingle or take certain business dinners because, you know, I put myself on deadline. I put myself on notice. I got to finish these things. And, you know, um, it's really difficult. Like, I'm not going to lie. And, you know, I do look forward to a time where things are a little bit more regulated in the sense that, and it's happening now where, you know, I might do one exhibition a year, you know, and then, um, you know, work on a, a film or other projects, you know, along, along, along that time and build myself enough time to accomplish those things in a way that, you know, see them through in a way that I'm happy with. And then also take time off and take time away to spend with my family. You know, the past three years, like I, I've had maybe one vacation, um, you know, a proper vacation. Like anytime I travel, it's traveling for a very specific reason for business, you know, and that intention for, you know, getting there, doing what I need to do, getting right back to it. Um, but it's been tough, man. Like, you know, it's, it's tough on me. It's tough on the fam. It's, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have, um, you know, a good group of folks around me that help, you know, run the company that help, you know, take a little bit of that burden off of me. But it's still hard because, you know, I'm the last sort of stop on the, 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 the way to a thing sort of, you know, coming out, you know, whether that's the smallest little point of merchandise, a sticker to, you know, a painting or a sculpture for an exhibition, right? It has to sort of pass through me to say yes, or I have to get back in there, retweak, redo. And, you know, sometimes that's tough because it can take, like I can be working and focus on this group of things here and then I have to stop and focus on this because this needs immediate attention and then readjust and come back to that. It's not always easy, you know, because again, you're switching gears creatively. You're switching hats sometimes. I'm putting on, taking off the artist hat, putting on the, the business hat. And it's not, it's, you know, it's tough. Like I, I it's, it's tough. Yeah, that sounds hard. And so let's talk a little bit about the work itself. Um, and obviously you're, you have a strong focus on narrative and characters, which I, from what you described earlier with your experience in graffiti, sounds like it even dates back to that point where you were starting to really kind of develop characters as, as a form of expression. Um, and obviously the character that you're most well known for is, is Flyboy. Um, and I, I, from what I understand, just reading up on it, the aesthetic was heavily inspired by the Tuskegee Airmen from World War II, the, the first black military aviators and what was the predecessor to the U.S. Um, Air Force. Um, I guess, how did you first come up with uh, the idea for Flyboy and how, how does he tie back to these famous airmen? Um, I think the Cliff Notes version is, um, you know, just kind of looking at old historical books and just again, this idea sprung out from there, not naturally, but just started painting or, you know, these bug eyed boys. And then those bug eyed boys developed and formed into what is the fly boy. And, 
you know, then being able to attach some historic, you know, connotation to it um, and then sort of re uh, repurposing a bit of the history and the, of the creation in a way um, that fit certain narratives and also just allow for me to almost kind of separate it from its historical uh, origins in a way, you know, where it kind of became its its own thing. So, you know, it, it, it was all accidental. It wasn't, you know, I didn't seek, you know, I, I seek out to like, man, I'm going to create a character that I'm just going to paint for years and years and of and get sick of. And, you know, um, it, it wasn't that at all. It was just, it was all a series of happy accidents that, um, you know, have, help me buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I know you've talked about in, in interviews before um, how some of the characters that you've developed, um, Flyboy, Little Mama, um, in a lot of ways have filled in a gap of representation that you experienced reading comics growing up. Not, not only in terms of the superheroes themselves, but the people that were writing the stories of the superheroes. You know, not really writing authentic um representations of the black experience and these characters kind of fill in that gap in a lot of ways um i guess do you think the large media companies out there disney and marvel marvel's now disney um are they moving in the right direction as far as inclusiveness goes like have you have you do you feel that the gap in experience that you had growing up is still there or is it starting to get better as an adult i mean i think that you have a lot of companies that are making strides um you know, we're not there yet, but you know, we're 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 working towards something different. It's interesting. Um, could be good. You know, I think the jury's still out. Like a few crumbs and kernels did does not make up for you know yeah. um, years and years of sort of neglect in that way. And you know, it's not dissimilar to the art world, right? Like right now, in the art world, you have collectors gallerists that just figured out that black is the new black that that we're dope you know what i mean that we're the shit and like now there's like this rush to collect black art black artists and you know it's it's let's put away all the old european art and let's get some black art up here and it's it feels it feels good in one sense but then it also feels like an overcorrection you know um and and it's like I'm weary only because it's like, I'm nervous that it, it's a fad, you know, where this boom happens and all of these black artists who are extremely deserving of their shot, their shine, you know, get that for a moment. And then, you know, this other twinkle happens and then black is no longer the new black and there's something else, you know, um, so again, I say that as a bit of a skeptic, but also on the other side of me, I'm extremely happy and here for it. You know, like I feel like it's fucking yeah, it's about time. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 to bring it back to your question, yeah, I, I feel the same way in terms of you know film and television and 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 other forms of media. Like, yeah, man, like I want to, you know, I want to have full representation in these 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 adventure stories, these fantasies these narratives that typically don't, you know, don't fit me. I was joking the other day, I went to uh, a friend of mine produced 
uh, friends of mine, I should say, produced uh, this new series for Netflix uh, called Fear Street. And it's a it's a it's a trilogy of horror films that like happen in different eras. And um, one of the actors in it, he's um, you know, he's he's been working pretty consistent for some years now. And you know, he has a, a smaller role in it, but you know, he's a talented dude and like is starting to really get more parts where, you know, he has more opportunity. And, you know, it's a moment where it comes down to, you know, these are slasher films. And it's a moment where like there's actually two black men left in a slasher film. And we're sort of in the third act and I'm like, shit, one's gotta go at least. I know, <laughs> I know it's happening. I'm just waiting for it. But it doesn't happen. Spoiler, sorry. But and I was like, it's about fucking time. You know, and again, these are these small, it's silly. But, but to that point of like, you know, us having and feeling represented in a real way, yeah. less like, let's put a black actor in this part that was a role written for a white guy, right? To, to check a quota, or let's put this black artist into this show to sort of fill a quota, right? To say, oh, we haven't forgotten about you, you know? So I don't know, we'll see, man. I think, you know, history will, will, will tell and time will tell um, what it will become. I'm hopeful for sure, but also, you know, can't help but to be a little cautious and, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's justified. I mean, uh, to be honest, I, I mean, we saw obviously the most recent events of of people speaking out about injustice was last year's protest and mm -hmm. the murder of George Floyd and everybody was activated for a period and then the, the news cycle started spinning and other things started to come up it's like how do we not make progress on this when everybody is talking about it and then it just kind of peters off so I completely understand that skepticism you know yeah. um, so I guess as far as how you're approaching talking about these things with your characters, do you find that it's easier to present and discuss difficult truths and make them more approachable when they're told through the lens of, of child characters? That, that was sort of Charles Schultz's approach. And I know that you've, you've compared like what you're trying to do with Charles Schultz's. Is that how you're kind of approaching it and making it more um, palatable, I guess? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Yes, to the Charles Schultz comparison. I mean, I think, you know, obviously um, what he was able to do with those characters, obviously, you know, it's a different medium, but it's not dissimilar. But at the same time, I think that, you know, every artist has the opportunity to use their work as a filter for whatever their thoughts, messaging, or, you know, narrative is. It's, you know, it can kind of filter through the work and, that exist sort of in this space and they exist outside of that space, if that makes any sense. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it, it does become a lot easier to um, say certain things, add in certain ideas, notions or, and so forth when it is coming sort of through the mouths of babes. And, and earlier you, you talked about, um, the fact that you didn't know that you could become an artist because that's not something you really had seen and it, you hadn't really experienced or seen anybody kind of rise to that level. So you didn't even know it was possible. Um, and you've also talked about how Flyboy and Little Mama were meant to fill in gaps of representation and make, you know, kind of have characters 
serve as inspiration um, for the youth of today. Do you find yourself as a sort of a role model, as a person that kids could look up to as, hey, he did it, so maybe I could do it, which is somebody that you didn't have yourself? I think so. I think, I mean, I don't consider myself a role model. I consider, you know, I want my journey to be a little inspirational to motivate somebody to do it. Me personally, no, I think, you know, let the work be the work and you enjoy that. And then you can sort of understand the creator of it. But I, by no stretch, am like, oh, I am a role model. Like, (laughs) no, Um, but let the work inspire, you know. Um, and I think that for me, that that's, it's really important, man. I, you know, just being honest, like, and it's not, you know, the typical like static answer of, oh yeah, so I hope the work inspires, but it's, it's really real, you know, because again, I just know, and I always come back to those feelings of, you know, sort of squandered inspiration, you know, knowing, um, and having a lot of friends and family members that were extremely creative you know, far more than me even. And at, the, at at a point in their lives, they lost it. And I think that the biggest thing that happens besides life finding a way to beat you down in certain, in certain ways. But I think the thing that happened is like, you know, certain people need North stars, you know, they need that, that, that thing to follow to say like that, oh, well, that's the journey they took. Now my journey is, it, you know, it's going to be different, but I want to get to that side of of the map, so to speak. I want to get over there and, you know, I can kind of borrow from their journey and, you know, sprinkle in my own experiences, et cetera. But that's really important to me, man, because, I, you know, it's like we need more, uh, we need more creatives of color, right? Because that opens the door and the opportunity to tell more stories or to express, you know, different perspectives. Um, and 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 make things far more interesting, far more engaging. And um, like I say, it wasn't something that I set out to do because I didn't know I was gonna have any kind of career in art. You know, I didn't imagine fully that you know I would be where I am, and I'm still far from where I want to be. But it is important, I think, as the days grow, and especially again, like I say, man, as a father, you know, with my children wanting to be sort of a shining example of like, there's no real prescribed way to do it. You know, you just have to have a work ethic, you know, like you don't even have to be extremely talented. You have to have a vision, see it through and 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 work your ass off to get it. You know, that's the real formula. You know, if you work hard enough, somebody will figure it out and take notice, you know, on some level. And I think that's, it's just important, man. Like, you know, talking with these kids and just watching the response. Like, you know, we did um, the interactive installation, uh, Nevermore Park in Chicago. It feels like years ago now, but it was only a year ago or so ago. It, was, it ended right as the pandemic hit. Um, it kind of shut us down. But, you know, I had paid for hundreds of tickets for Chicago public school kids to go. And getting, you know, thank yous by way of their art teacher or their, their, the teachers that, that brought them there doing projects centered around what they saw and a further exploration of their creative energies. And man, looking at that, it's like, 
it just goes like, you know, we're, we're born with that inclination in us in certain ways, you know, and everybody's not a visual creative, but there is a creative part to all of us, I believe firmly. And, you know, again, life beats it out of us, you know, and it's like to, to see these young minds, like just unfiltered, just going in and creating is beautiful, man. It's like, yeah. it's, it's one of the most rewarding feelings you can get, you know, to see how you've touched, if not, but for a moment, certain people with the thing that you do. Yeah. No, that's powerful. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about what you have coming up. I, I saw on your Instagram, you you have a new solo show coming up in New York in September. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, what can you tell me about this new body of work? Well, um, yes, I have a solo show in New York City. Um, I haven't shown in New York in, in, in many, many moons. Um, this will be the first time in a while. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, the new body of work is... Uh, was primarily uh, created around, you know, the time of the pandemic um, where, you know, I felt like the world was on fire and um, also sort of take a, took a step back and, and, and evaluated the work that I had been putting out to date and feeling that I had only taken very small swings to tell or sort of articulate a point of view. Um, my, my, I think my, my narratives have been a little one-sided and a little short-sided. And so I just wanted to take the time to like, you know, man, I, I, I and I don't mean to sound arrogant or anything, but like I, I draw and paint every day, you know, um, whether good, bad, or otherwise something's coming out. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I want to say and do, but, you know, in the art world, there is the idea that's, that's, you know, like you don't want to create brand confusion in the sense of, you know, you don't want to no, be noted for this thing. And then you go completely over here and you do something that's like, what the, you know, it's like, what the fuck happened? But I think when the pandemic hit, you know, it was a time for me to sort of pull back the notebooks and look at certain things that I have done sketches that I'd made small paint studies that I had done that I never put out. I never showed, I never, you know, I never really shared. And I wanted to just do a show and an exhibition that kind of veered a little away from the things that I was noted for in a way that said a little bit more. Um, and, you know, I got really into uh, Robert Colescott. Um, who is a, 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 a pretty well-known uh, Black artist. A lot of his work was extremely satirical, um, political, and, you know, uh, you know, just a little heavy-handed at times. But I think the, the, the way in which, you know, he composed his, his work and also the satirical nature of his work, you know, made it feel a little lighter at times when the topics and, and the narrative were, was, you know, it was pretty heavy underneath. And so looking at that, being extremely inspired by that, I wanted just to create a body of work that sort of reflected some of those notions and like channeling the same energy of Robert um, in that way. And again, departing a bit from the space that I've been in for a while, because I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where I can always go back to that. I know that that's secondhand and 
it's fun still, but you know, I wanted to challenge myself. And so I think that this show is me sort of challenging myself and also stepping all the way out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, like again, you know, I, I, I walk around and I look in the mirror and tell myself I'm the shit, but you know, sometimes you don't <laughs> always believe it. You can say it, but you don't always believe it. But with this, I think it's like, you know, I wanted to find comfort in the uncomfortable, like really, really challenge myself to do something that felt different enough, you know, um, that felt like another, if it, I think it feels, it's uncomfortable because it feels more personal to me in, in a way where it's like, you're kind of showing people, it's like reading a page of your, your journal, you know, like that type of shit where like, you know, you can, you can get super detailed about your thoughts, your insecurities and et cetera in, in there, but you don't really, that's not something for the world. And so this is a bit of that in a way where um, some of the stuff is, 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 is masked within, you know, it's satirical nature. Some of the stuff is right there, um, but it's different and it's fun for me because it, it allows me to flex another muscle creatively that I, I haven't allowed myself to um, to do in this in this scale. Does does the show have a title yet? Uh, it's dark fiction. Dark fiction, nice. How many pieces yeah. do you think you'll have? Um, it'll be somewhere around maybe about fifteen, like large scale works, um, a few sculptural works, and then you know some smaller studies and works on paper and things like that. Um, but you know. It, a lot of the work is they're, they're, they're pretty large in scale. Like I've, I've definitely sort of scaled up for this because um, I don't know. I think that, you know, that sense of grandeur to me helps kind of reinforce the idea or the narrative a little bit stronger in smaller pieces with more specific for, for this particular show for this thing. So um, yeah. Do you think you'll do more of that kind of off-brand sort of uh, experimentation and exploration? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've had so much fun with this um, that, you know, um, regardless of how this show is perceived, I think that, you know, if it's perceived poorly, then less so, but it won't stop me from creating it in the sense that I do it for my own sort of, you know, satisfaction. Um, you know, I'll forever create this stuff because I have been for years, but again, this is the first time me giving it to the public and sort of showing it. Do you feel a, a sense of pressure about staying on brand? Like it's something that kind of goes through your mind a lot as far as are people going to receive this? Do you think about the audience and the reception? Absolutely. I mean, I think you have to, especially given the time in which I've been sort of in the, the art world now and building this certain this audience that i have you know you 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 have to be mindful of you know who that audience is and you know if you're going to take them on these other uh sort of journeys you know it 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 can be a bit daunting you can you know it it can feel you know uh a bit scary and nerve-wracking in that way i think the thing that so i have the show in new york and then Immediately after, in October, I have um, sort of three exhibitions running concurrently in Tokyo. Oh, wow. And, um, and that sort of focuses on a very specific theme, uh, 
but that feels more like it feels very familiar um, to some of the work that I've done in the past, right? It's an extension of it, right? It's an it's it's sort of an evolution of it, but it's still very much an extension of the the journey everyone knows me for. Um, so I think that having having New York and 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 Tokyo so close together, it takes a little bit of the pressure off because it's like, well, if you guys hate me now, maybe you'll <laughs> like me again in a month. I don't know. So, um, you know, so like, I, you know, it's like, sorry, I lost you. Come back here. Look at this. But yeah, I think, you know, again, man, it's like, you know, you never know until you try and, you know, it's, it's just time. I just felt like, again, man, going through what, what we've all gone through over the last year, yeah. um, you know, life is short, man, you know, it's short. And so I want to be able to express myself in as many different ways as I can before my time is up. For sure. Yeah. So what's the opening date and, and what gallery is, is hosting it? Um, so it is shit, man. Now you're asking me like the tough questions. <laughs> um, it's September the, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up on the calendar, September 4th. Um, and it is at Ross Sutton gallery in Soho. Okay. Are you going to be able to make it out to the opening, you think? Yeah, I mean, that's the plan, you know, um, be there for the first day. And then if people hate, hate it and hate me, then I'm, probably <laughs> be there for the <laughs> I'm sure it's gonna be fantastic. I mean, I, I saw one of the pieces that you showed and it looked great. So I mean, definitely a different direction. But I think any of the fans of yours um, that have been here along the way would, would enjoy it. So um, best of luck with that. I think it's gonna be great. Oh, I guess where can people find you online and, and keep up with the latest with what you have going on? Uh, well, you know, hebrewbrantley.com, uh, .gov, .net. No, I'm just, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm primarily just on, uh, Instagram. So Hebrew Brantley, um, and, uh, yeah, you can find me there and kind of follow and, you know, everything that I have going on is always announced through there. So. Awesome. Very cool. So last question, and this is something I like to ask everybody. Yeah. Who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? good question um i mean there's a ton of artists actually uh, i'm trying to think of one hmm i don't know man i think like going towards some of my favorite artists like a, a Derek adams um uh a nina chanel um a young budding artist who's one of my new faves brandon denier um going completely left of that like uh, a James Jean, a Mad Saki. Um, I don't know. I don't know if those are easy or hard gets, but you'll figure it out. You got it. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Hebrew, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real treat uh, getting to know more about you and your work. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hebrew. One of the more powerful things that I came across while doing research on Hebrew and, and reading some of the interviews that he's done, uh, and we talked about it in our chat a, a bit as well, was how the comic books of his day weren't really doing a good job of representing him or the black community, most obviously in their lack of black superheroes. 
But even more than that was the absence of black writers, black creators. So even if a story had a black character in it, it was written through the lens of a white man. Um, And so naturally that was very inauthentic. It was the black experience from the perspective of a white person. So of course it's going to, to cause people to feel left out. They didn't see themselves in those stories. But then also how Hebrews said he hadn't really imagined becoming an artist because he didn't really think such a thing was even possible. He had nobody to look to other than like Jean-Michel Basquiat as an example of someone who's gone down that road successfully. So in a lot of very real ways, he's become an inspiration to black youth, both in terms of creating characters that are more authentic to their experience but also being a living example of someone who's beaten that path and paved that road. I'm really intrigued by what Hebrew had to say about his new show. Having built such a recognizable, like internationally recognizable brand, and having his characters be known, you know, all around the world, can, you know, obviously create a certain expectation for an artist. And... I have to imagine it's it's incredibly hard to give yourself the freedom to allow yourself the freedom to explore outside of those boundaries. So, you know, I, I'm personally excited to hear that this show um, has been an attempt at breaking out, out of those constraints, you know, and really putting himself out there in a very personal way. So the show is titled Dark Fiction, And it sounds like it'll be opening to the public on Saturday, September 4th at Ross Sutton Gallery in New York City. So definitely follow Hebrews and the gallery's Instagram for more information about the show as it becomes available. So thanks again to Hebrew for joining me today, and thank you for checking out the show. I'm truly grateful for your support. And just a reminder, one big way you could help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash artifairs. As always, you can contact me through my website at artifairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artifairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other. Mm